0: Welcome to No Man Land. I'm your host, Ida Fevrier. Join me once a month, every month, as I attempt to embrace the old and the new, the good and the bad, and the little pleasures of everyday life. With guests or solo, and always titled after a specific book each episode, let's tackle it all. Life, love, friendship, anxiety, sadness, happiness, youth, society, culture, film, books, music, you name it. Enjoy. Well, hello there. My name is Ida Fevrier, the host of the No Man Land podcast, and welcome to the year of magical thinking. I currently have in front of me a glass of white wine and a cup of green tea because I have no fucking clue what day or time it is. I don't know who I am. You may hear in the background of my poorly isolated studio, aka bedroom in my mom's house, um, the pitta-patta of the English rain. I am tucked away neatly in the British countryside. And yeah, okay, we're the 27th of December. It's 3 30. It's that weird in between Christmas and New Year's limbo. I'm in my sweatpants. I'm kind of bored, but I'm trying very, very hard to enjoy the rest. It's funny because if you've been around me these last three weeks before Christmas, all I've been saying is, I can't wait to be in the countryside. It's gonna be so nice. I'm just gonna like take it really easy and like. Just think about myself, catch up with myself a little bit. No, 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 no. I got here. I'm bored. I'm bored as shit. I've baked cakes. You know, I've been jolly and merry. I watched It's a Wonderful Life. Let me get back to my wonderful life. Hot topic. I don't like Christmas. Saying that I don't like is a strong word because I am part Scandinavian. It's a little bit in my DNA being all cozy and cuddled up and whatever. But I think the older I get, the less I care. And Christmas in general is just a difficult time of year if you've grown up with divorced parents, um, just one parent, no parents, no siblings, living far away from home. It's a very financially straining time of year. And if you don't have the ideal atomic family, it's a little bit difficult. I just try and not give a shit. And I feel like this is the first Christmas in a while where I've been content But it can be very difficult and alienating and I'm grateful that Christmas is here because it does make this time of year a little bit easier having something to look forward to and a reason to kind of get together. And it's a very nostalgic time of year as well. I've been going through photo albums and video recordings of my Christmases as a child and I'm coming to terms with the reality that I'm grown up I'm a 24 year old woman in this world and I'm no longer a child and I put my Christmas money into my bills yeah you oh you thought your relatives were killing the mood this holiday season no 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 honey it's me as this is the last episode of 2023 I thought let's wrap it up Let's look back on this last year. I'm going to be talking about what I've read in 2023. It is a good time of year for some good old self-reflection. Little life update. I'm in a very, very odd space in my life right now. I think I've gone over the sorrow and insecurity about the messiness. And I'm kind of just now leaning into the chaos. But December's been rough. December's been rough. The end of November and all of December was pretty shit. Like there were three consecutive weeks where I had friend troubles, boy troubles, money troubles, work troubles, personal troubles. Like it just kept hitting me in the fucking face, which is why I think I was so looking forward to just tap out and get away from London. But there did come a point where I was like, I don't know if I can take this anymore. You know, when you wake up and you just think to yourself, another fucking day, another fucking day. This is what I would put in the morning to get me going. (laughs) I was waking up to this every morning. By John Cena. I've been in a big period of transition, and I do think that any big moment of change requires its losses, requires you to grieve a lot of things, and that's the only way you can move forward. I was so down bad, I saw a medium, I hate to say it, which was actually one of the most fun experiences I've had in a long time. Visualize Carmela Soprano... I got to know this medium through a friend of mine who had met her in California last year or something super random. Like super fucking random. We spent five hours drinking margaritas and she was telling me my destiny and reading tarot cards, and it was the best five hours of my life. I'll spare you the details because it got really deep, but we had an incredible time. And she told me that this time of my life, I'm grieving, I'm struggling, I'm going through heartbreak, not in like the romantic sense, but I am mourning a lot my, I guess, past or younger self. And she reassured me that I was on the right path and that this was necessary and... You know, I am quite naive. I try and not take these things too literally because, you know, I'm still in control of my life. It's not just the stars. However, having someone validating how you felt, especially that woman was insane. She was able to guess every single thing about my life. It was mind boggling. The tarot card reading, I was like, how do you know this information about myself? This is stuff that I'd even forgotten, like very deep, specific things. But just having someone telling you that, what you've gone through recently is difficult and that you're allowed to feel shit and that you're allowed to be in a rough spot in your life was incredibly reassuring. And I felt like myself again after that tarot card reading for the first time in a few weeks. And I just feel like I'm leaning into the chaos and the messiness that is my life right now. And that's okay. We can't be perfect all the time. And I feel like that's one of the main struggles with being in your early 20s. Is that the line is so thin between kind of having it all together. Having some sort of healthy balance between your personal life, your social life, your work life. Eating well, going to bed at a certain time. Taking care of yourself and then complete and utter debauchery. (laughs) I'm in the debauchery side right now. But yeah, like I said, you kind of have to hit rock bottom sometimes to realize things. That's where I've been at. But I have been reflecting a lot on this past year. And I'm very pleased to say that although it's been bumpy, it's the best I've felt within myself ever. I think that's also just part of growing up. I can really feel my front cortex. She's shaping up. She's shaping up. Which is why I wanted to title this episode The Year of Magical Thinking. I'm incredibly hopeful for next year. Not with the state of the world, to be honest. I've been staying with my mom who watches the news religiously every morning. I do as well, but I do it from my phone, so I'm able to pick the information I wanna consume. But watching just the news report every morning, I've been like, okay, right. I have like no hope whatsoever. But in terms of me, I do have a good feeling about next year. I think I'm still stuck in a lot of mindsets from teenage or early 20s Ida moving into my mid 20s. It is exciting. It's very exciting. I'm moving houses right now, so my whole life is in boxes. December was just very physically and mentally exhausting. I felt so burnt out, so I need to stop fucking moaning and just take a nap. And here I am, you know, trying to relax and I'm recording myself. Like, take it easy. So yeah, if you've been feeling a little bit shit this December, just know that you are not alone. This time of year is difficult for a lot of people and you can just feel that the days are getting just a little bit longer we're almost there what is it with every single fucking app trying to do a wrapped like spotify spotify is the only company that's able to take your data and make it fun like they've achieved doing that in their marketing campaign i saw my Monza wrapped the other day Whoever in the marketing department of Monzo thought that that was a good idea, you're fired. Like, it is not fun for me to know that 80% of my income goes to Little, and TFL. It is not fun for me to know that the top place I went to was my local pub, and that my most popular shop was, like, my local corner store, where I buy cigarettes most of the time, looking fucking depressed. I was looking back on the resolutions I made last year. It was, get my driver's license. Failed. Learn Italian properly I am back on Duolingo And I'm pleased to say There is progress Parlamo Italiano soon Stop biting my nails Which I've successfully done And read more than 20 books Which brings us to my next topic Which is what I read this year I read a total of How many? Let's see I read 27 books this year Oh my god Which is about Two and a half books a month So Fuck you know at me go i used to really not be a reader and i would procrastinate reading a lot and i feel like a lot of people struggle to read as much as they wish they did is that english my little tips and tricks it's not really a fucking tip and trick what the hell am i talking about i basically have just completely stopped watching movies before bed i just read and i also read in the morning so instead of checking my phone... First of all, I've completely stopped checking social media in the morning. Which has been probably the greatest blessing of my life. I realized that I don't have ADHD. I'm just overstimulated because of my fucking phone. And yeah, that's a way I've been able to read more. Audiobooks as well. Audiobooks are really great. Specifically when they're read by the author. I love that. But now if you have Spotify Premium, I think you can listen to the audiobooks. However, I have also read that they don't pay the authors... So fuck that. But I did have Audible for a fair bit. Yeah. Audiobooks, reading when you're commuting, reading in the morning, reading before bed. And once you've installed a sort of rhythm, the books just fly by. I'm actually quite proud of myself for reading 27 books. And there's a few I haven't finished. But most of the time, if I put down a book, I don't pick it back up. She's not mine. All right. Here's what I read this year. Started off with A Man's Place by Enierno, which came out in nineteen eighty three. Enierno won the twenty twenty two Nobel Prize in Literature, and most of her books are actually now available in English through the Fitzcarraldo Editions. <laughs> You know, they're the editions with like the really plain covers and just the title and they're super chic and they have great taste. But yeah, the majority of her books have been translated into English and she's now considered one of France's most important writers, which is great because she is an incredible woman. She is one of the most important feminist writers. She wrote about abortion, In France in the 60s and 70s when it was still illegal. She's just an incredible woman. I love her. And her writing style is so incredibly beautiful. A Man's Place talks about the death of her father. Elno grew up in a very working class family in rural France. With a father who showed his family very little affection. Which I think was very common back then. And her relationship with him. Her father's jealousy towards her success. When she started becoming a known author. It's short. You can read it in about two days. It's simple, heartbreaking, beautiful. Recommend this very highly. I gave this five stars. Next, I finished The Secret History by Donna Tartt, out 1992. Firstly, I love Donna Tartt. I read The Goldfinch a couple of years ago just think she's a good storyteller. They're always really chunky books. She's just cool and dark and mysterious and really clever, which makes for really great storytelling. Reviews are very mixed about this book, but it's basically the story of a group of clever, eccentric misfits in an elite university in New England, and shit gets weird. I really liked the writing style. I thought it was really gripping and interesting, and I really loved it. I read it quite quickly as well. It's a massive fucking book. I really liked it, and I fucking loved Donna Tart. Number three, we've got The Doors of Perception by Aldous Huxley, published in 1954. This is a very famous philosophical essay, which was written from a recollection of a mescaline trip Huxley had, and its effect on its senses. I am kind of late to the game on this one. This is like a very famous essay talking about psychedelics, and this is the book to the band The Doors named themselves after. I have always been fascinated by the effects of psychedelics on our senses, its benefits. You know, the fact that psilocybin, LSD, ketamine are being used in clinical trials for people with mental health issues, I think is excellent news. It's been proven time and time again that these drugs, when used accordingly, can really benefit you, and I'm a huge advocate for mushrooms, I think, It was one of the greatest experiences I had in my life and definitely changed me and I've been wanting to learn more about it ever since because it's infinite and we still know so little. So The Doors of Perception is just, it's written so incredibly well and it really makes you question your senses. Um, It made me realize how perception is just far more complicated than I'll ever comprehend and he also talks about this sort of universal desire to escape from reality through drugs one quote Huxley wrote about you know why people tend to fall into alcoholism or drug addiction is he said mostly lives that were so painful at best so monotonous poor and limited that the urge to escape the longing to transcend themselves if only for a few moments is and always has been one of the principal appetites of the soul psychedelics go back thousands and thousands of years in our culture. It was a spiritual religious practice. Like it needs to to stop criminalizing it. It needs to regulate it in a better way. I don't know. I loved this essay. It's very short. You can read it relatively quickly. I'm pretty sure it's available online. I gave this five stars. Number four, I read The Cost of Living by Deborah Levy, published twenty eighteen. So I've noticed I've just seen a lot of Deborah Levy books in bookshops. And I've always been a little bit curious. I didn't know what she was about. I don't know much about this woman. And I kind of picked up this one because I kind of liked the title. It's basically a memoir from the time in her life after... Her divorce. It's a sort of examination on love, marriage, mourning, kinship, divorce, and how to move on from the past and holding on a memory and going through heartbreak later on in life. And it's a very quick read, and it is well written. However, I didn't really understand the hype around Deborah Levy with this book, so I might need to try out another one. I don't know. I feel like I read a lot of books about depressed women. Maybe. I need to move on to another genre. Number five, I read Future, How Feminism Can Save the World by Lorraine Bastide, published 2022. Very annoyingly, I am pretty sure that this book has not yet been translated into English. However, when it does, I urge everyone to read this because this was an incredible read. I gobbled it up. So Lorraine Bastide is a really famous journalist in France. She hosts a podcast called La Poudre, which is all about feminism. This book, essentially, is a sort of guidebook on how to implement feminist thinking into society and what problems it would solve. Talks about eco-feminism, and yeah, how to apply a feminist program into society, redefining how to love, how to educate, how to judge, how to produce, how to live. Number six: Eve's Hollywood by Eve Babbitts, published 1972. This is a sort of quasi-autobiographical essay. I adore Eve Babbitts in general. She's just the funkier party version of Joan Didion. Just Just a dream socialite girl. She was invited everywhere. She knew everyone. And she was an incredible writer, which I think was often looked over when she was younger. But ever since she's passed away, her books have been selling incredibly well. And if you've never read Eve Babbitt, I would recommend starting with Eve's Hollywood or Slow Days Fast Company. Here's a quote from Eve's Hollywood, which I think really is a good example of Babbitt's writing. I once saw Cary Grant up close. He was beautiful. looked exactly like Cary Grant. It's witty, intimate, and even just the way in which she shares names and places and moods. It's like we're with her. It doesn't feel pretentious or alienating because she was hanging around with all these A-listers. It feels really welcoming and fun and exciting, and I really enjoyed this book. I gave it four stars. Number seven, we've got Kitchen Confidential Adventures in the Culinary Underbelly by Anthony Bourdain. Published in 2000, Bourdain describes... This book as 25 Years of Sex, Drugs, Bad Behavior, and Haute Cuisine, which is exactly what it is. It's a memoir, but at the same time, it's really funny. It's a sort of guidebook on how to behave in restaurants, how to behave in kitchens, the importance of food and good produce. And it really made me appreciate my job in hospitality again after reading this. This one I did listen to as an audiobook, which Anthony Bourdain reads. And I just love that man. I love... I really enjoyed listening to this as an audiobook because there's a lot of description of foods and flavors and the way he talks about it is so incredibly passionate and you can literally smell the flavors as he's talking about it. And I really thought this was great. I really enjoyed this. I gave it four stars. Number eight, we've got What We Talk About When We Talk About Love by Raymond Carver, published 1981. This is a collection of slice of life short stories that mostly go nowhere and end ambiguously. And I loved it. That is sort of my favorite genre, American short stories. My favorite author is John Cheever, which is very that. I think short stories that end nowhere leave so much place for interpretation and imagination. And I really loved this. And I think the title is beautiful as well. Talks about every possible facet of love, basically. Speaking of love, number nine, we've got Everything I Know About Love by Dolly Alderton, which came out 2018. This book, you've probably seen it everywhere. It's in every fucking airport train station whatever it's it was a huge phenomenon I'm not gonna lie I loved it I think I also read this at a time of my life where I really needed to hear the things she talks about I loved it it's beautiful it's a sort of guidebook on how to survive your 20s not even how to survive but just things that happen and heartbreak and grief and life and love and work and it's a sort of, I really saw it as like a Bible for my generation. I know a lot of people find Dolly Alderton quite cheesy or basic or mainstream. I thought this book was incredible. Talking about what I was saying earlier, there's a point in the book where she talks about when you're having like a quarter life crisis. She wrote, you're realizing the mundanity of life. You're finally understanding how little point there is to anything. You're moving out of the realm of the fantasy of when I grow up in adjusting to the reality that you're there it's happening and it's true i think for the longest time i've still been saying when i grow up i'm fucking there and i gotta get used to it i gave this five stars number 10 we've got good morning midnight by jean reese published 1939 if you're a bell jar girl interrupted flew over the cuckoo's nest kind of girly this is the book for you I adored this incredible writing. I don't know who this woman is, Jean Rhys. Basically tells the story of a very confused, anxious American girl living in Paris. And I loved this. I thought it was so incredibly well written. This is like one of the greatest things I've read in a very long time. Here's a quote. So you can see the vibe my life which seems so simple and monotonous is really a complicated affair of cafes where they like me and cafes where they don't streets that are friendly streets that aren't rooms where i might be happy rooms where i shall never be looking glasses i look nice in looking glasses i don't dresses that will be lucky dresses that won't and so on i thought it was also incredibly modern considering it was published in 1939. And I just love a book about someone who's depressed, you know, it just feels great. I revel in people's unhappiness. Yeah, Good Morning Midnight was definitely my top three of this year, gave it five stars. Number 11, we've got Faith, Hope and Carnage by Nick Cave and Sean O'Hagan. Published 2022. Nick Cave, if you don't know, is the lead singer of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. And if that still doesn't ring a bell, he's the guy who sang the Peaky Blinders intro. Kind of sounds like that. Like that vibe. Yeah, Australian singer, legend. This is basically a collection of interviews Sean O'Hagan did with Nick Cave, kind of over lockdown, post-lockdown, talking about his writing process and his career and his artwork and his life philosophies. And I really enjoyed this. I thought this was great. I read it in such a nice context as well because I was on a ferry for eight hours over the summer. And I read it from start to finish in the ferry. And I love reading books in one go like that because you're so immersed and I was so into it and it was just perfect it felt like i was entering this guy's mind for a couple hours one quote and i feel like that's the most popular quote from this book is nick cave says hope is optimism with a broken heart and i thought that was so beautiful and very true. I love highlighting books when I read. I think it's pointless trying to make it look all pretty all the time. My books are destroyed most of the time, but I love highlighting books and I think I highlighted quite a lot in that one. Number 12, I've got a chunky English classic. Martin Eden by Jack London, published 1908. I was like, you know what, I gotta read a big chunky classic it's time, I'm ready, I feel like my English is good enough for me to grasp almost everything. And it did, and I and I did enjoy this. It's the story of a young proletarian who is kind of stupid, and he wants to become a writer, and he's struggling, and meets this wealthy, very clever woman. He falls in love, and it's a great dissection of a person's evolution, sort of coming onto the path of enlightenment. I mean, it's beautifully written. Wait, hold up. Let me read one extract, because... Like, the English language is beautiful. There was something cosmic in him. He came to her breathing of large airs and great spaces. The blaze of tropic suns was in his face, and in his swelling, resilient muscles was the primordial vigor of life. He was marred and scarred by that mysterious world of rough men and rougher deeds, the outposts of which began beyond her horizon. He was untamed, wild, and in secret ways her vanity was touched by the fact that he came so mildly to her hand. Likewise, she was stirred by the common impulse to tame the wild thing. It was an unconscious impulse, and farthest from her thoughts, then, her desire was to re-thumb the clay of him into a likeness of her father's image, which image she believed to be the finest in the world. Nor was there any way out of her inexperience for her to know that the cosmic feel she caught of him was that most cosmic of things love which with equal power drew men and women together across the world compelled stags to kill each other in the rutting season and drove even the elements irresistibly to unite like bitch the day i can write something like this i love words i love words and i love love i did get a little bit bored at some point you know because it's just this white guy being like i want fame and ego and shit and whatever however it was beautiful i'm proud of myself for going for powering through because i did put it down at one point and then i picked it back up and it was worth it i gave this four stars. Number 13, we've got In the Café of Lost Youth by Patrick Modiano. Beautiful. Modiano is incredible. He's winner of the 2014 Nobel Prize in Literature. French legend. It's always really short books. So incredibly well written. It's just four narrators, a student from a café, a private detective who was hired by a jealous husband, the woman herself, and one of her lovers. And it's just a really elegant story about a café in Paris. And I tend to read those sorts of books when I'm feeling a little bit homesick. And It was kind of perfect. I loved it. I think this came out... This was published 2007. It's a very short, simple, elegant read. Highly recommend. I gave this four stars. Oof, this was one of my favorites this year. Number 14, we've got Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead by Olga Tokarczuk. Tokarczuk, yeah. Published 2009. This is another book, part of the Fitzcarraldo editions. Tells the story of Janina, who lives in a remote Polish village... And spends winter kind of studying astrology and translating... William Blake and taking care of the summer homes of wealthy people basically. She's recluse and cranky and mysterious prefers hanging out with animals over humans and her neighbor Bigfoot turns up dead. There's a series of other murders in this remote snowy Polish village and in really weird circumstances and it's basically this whole village and this woman investigating the murders. A deeply deeply satisfying thriller. It's like this weird borderland between sanity and madness and tradition it's incredible incredible it won a bunch of awards incredibly well written twists and turns and yeah gave this five stars this was probably my top one book this year number 15 we've got the creative act way of being by rick Rubin. Published 2023. Now, I know there was all this hype when this book came out. It is a good book. Don't get me wrong. I really enjoyed it. I read it through. I highlighted the shit out of it. So, Rick Rubin was the co founder of Def Jam Records, just a very famous person in the music industry, and wrote this sort of manifesto on how to be a creative being. It was, I saw it everywhere when it came out. And this book gives really good advice. It does. However, I did find it at times like very just like do whatever you want man everything's fine you're a creative being na, 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 like completely kind of disregarding the normal obstacles of life you would have when doing something creative it's a good motivator like i would go back to this book when i was feeling a bit lost in a certain area of my life or what i was doing but you know it can leave you a bit broken down as well at the end because he's just saying like be patient take your time money will come success will come you have it in you this craft of being creative like talking in this sort of spiritual guru sense but it's not it's sadly not that easy in this day and age to live from your craft or be a creative being recommend to read it but take it with a pinch of salt i did give this four stars number 16 we've got triste tigre by neige sino which came out 2023. I don't know if this has been translated into English yet. This is just a very interesting and beautiful reflection on incest and rape. Nez Sino was abused by her stepfather throughout her youth and she definitely with this book reshaped the narrative of how we should go about these things and she's trying to get into the mind of the aggressor and it's just really interesting heartbreaking but beautifully written and very powerful she's not coming from a place of weakness and i thought it was very powerful she won a bunch of awards i wouldn't be surprised if this gets translated into english next year but one sort of main arc in the book too actually one of them is what is important is not what happens to us but how we respond to what happens to us and it's questioning all of that basically and our society's relationship to sex and what she says at one point which I thought was very interesting she wrote everything in the world is about sex except sex sex is a question of power a beautiful read I gave this five stars number 17 we've got a lover's discourse by Roland Barthes published 1977 Roland Barthes is a very famous French semiologist and critic fascinating guy this is basically a structural analysis that explores love he uses thoughts from Poust, Plato, Winnicott, Schubert. This is definitely very brainy. I struggled quite a lot reading this sometimes. I also read it in French and there was just a lot of complicated words in there. But hey, don't give up. I finished it through. Very interesting. Very, very beautiful. And gives you a lot to think about. I go back to this book a lot. And there's one quote which I loved and I thought was incredibly true and I'd never even realized till I read it. He wrote, the horror of damaging is even stronger than the anguish of losing. This is something I've definitely learned this year. I think I've tried very hard to make sure that everything is perfect and I don't damage dynamics and relationships, even though... Most of the time, it's easier to let go in a way. I really loved this book. I gave it four stars. Number 18, we've got another Anierno book called Simple Passion. This one came out in 1991, so much later than A Man's Place. It's basically a tale of her fucked up situationship uh, of an all-consuming passion. It's a tiny book. It took me about an hour to read. Loved this. Loved. Loved it so, so much. Highly recommend. There's not much to say about it apart from the fact that the stories very simple but it's very well executed and just shows the anxieties of an all-consuming passion I recommend number 19 we've got in defense of witches by Monet Chaudet published 2018 now a lot of my friends got this mixed up this book is not about witches it uses the witch as a symbol of female rebellion and independence in the face of misogyny and persecution it does of course refer back to the witch hunts what year were the witch hunts I don't fucking know actually Around that time, you know what I mean. Basically talks about how women have been censored, eliminated, and repressed for centuries. A jolly good feminist read once again. This one I listened to as an audiobook. I really love Mona Cholet in general. I've read a lot of her books. My favorite one from her is Reinventing Love, How the Patriarchy Ruined Heterosexual Relationships. Great read. Very jolly, once again. (laughs) It's scholarly and cultural at the same time. It's really good. Gave it four stars. Number 20, we've got The World According to Joan Didion by Evelyn MacDonald. This came out this year and it's just an exploration of Joan Didion's life because I love that woman. The Year of Magical Thinking is a book by Joan Didion as well, which we'll talk about later on. But it's about her life, her craft, her legacy, her writing style, her relationships. I know a lot about her life already. Um, I didn't learn that much in this book, but it was very well written and engaging. And anything about Joan Didion, I kind of love. So I recommend. It was good. If you want to learn more about her, I gave this four stars. I'm not very harsh when rating books. Um, if I despise a book, I usually don't finish it. So there's nothing under three stars in here. Number 21, we've got I'm a Fan by Sheena Patel, published 2022. It's a story of a woman going through a very unequal unfaithful toxic relationship slash situationship i think i loved this it was fucking intense um also you know it's a modern story so brings in the entire fucked up complications that social media brings into relationships and comparison and power struggles it's a really good critique on social media on heteronormative relationships and kind of just our cultural obsession with fame and status. I really enjoyed this. Gave it four stars. Number 22, we've got The Act of Living what The Great Psychologists Can Teach Us About Finding Fulfillment by Frank Tallis, published 2020. This is also in my top three this year. I loved this. I I kind of love, this is one of my favorite genres as well, like non-fiction books that talk about a topic, referencing what other people have said about it. I am a slut for that. Each chapter is divided into like a main thing in life, love, work, um, parenting, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and refers back to what the great philosophers have said about it, specifically Freud, and yeah, how to find fulfillment in this very weird day and age. I thought it was fascinating. I learned a lot. This book made me think a lot. Kind of one of the morals that this book has is basically saying how you have to practice being the person that you want to be. That philosophical equanimity arises from how you choose to live yourself and you do have to put some effort into being the person you want to be, basically. I don't have another adjective apart from really, really good. I gave this five stars. One of the quotes I loved, which made me think a lot, was at one point he talks about time and how we're in a very impatient era in society. Uh, We're rushing, we're on our phones all the time, we want to be really active, and he says, we are glad when we have killed the time we are trying to save, and I think that's so true. A very good example is me right now in the countryside. I've been dying for this time of being able to do nothing, but now I'm bored, and I'm and I'm glad I've killed time doing other things. It's ridiculous. It's So it's about finding fulfillment in this day and age. And I thought it was an incredible read. Five stars. Number 23, we've got the Pastoral Symphony by André Gide, published 1919. This is fucked up, it's religious, it's French, it's old, but I love. It's the story of a pastor who adopts a young blind girl. There's beef because the pastor spends more time with the blind girl than his wife and kids. They get pissed. Even more beef because one of his sons tries to marry the blind girl, but pastor's in love with her, vice versa, and it's fucked up. I ate that shit up. It was great. It's like a classic French old school weird kind of novella. And it really made me appreciate having eyes, you know? That poor little blind girl says at one point, those who have eyes do not know their happiness. And it's true. We take that shit for granted. I felt after reading this book like I felt when I finished reading Helen Keller as a kid. The girl who's like blind, deaf, and mute and yeah, we take this shit for granted. Number 24, we've got Stoner by Raymond Williams, another story of a sad white man. I really liked this book, I actually really did, I thought it was beautifully written. It tells the story of Stoner, average American man, grew up on a farm in Missouri, went on to have an education. Has a wife has kids has an affair and dies basically it's not a spoiler because they literally say it from the beginning it's the story of a mundane life in america in the 40s i did get bored halfway through i did get a little bit boring and then it picked itself back up and it was great i actually really enjoyed reading this um surprisingly i thought i was going to be very bored but it was beautiful and i became very attached to the stoner became very attached to his daughter and the book yeah just shows you life, really. It's, it makes you think about a lot of stuff. I gave this five stars, I think. All right. Number 25. We've got The Book of Mother by Vélin Wisman. This was also... Okay, I gotta make it a top five now because this was insane. I loved this book. It came out in English this year, I think. This won a bunch of prizes in France. Vélin Wisman is the daughter of a very famous academic in France and he had a bunch of wives. One of them was Vélin's mother who was fucked up pretty sure bipolar or schizophrenic, alcoholic, you name it. So good. I'm obsessed with this, but I want to read it again. It talks about the force of a mother-daughter bond, but what comes with it and how difficult it can be. It's charismatic, It's joyful, it's chaotic, it's also sad. Yeah, I'm not gonna say too much about this book because I urge everyone to read this. I gave this five stars. If I could give it six, I would. Number 26, we've got Good Material by Dolly Alderton. Second Dolly Alderton book of the year. This one came out this year. I enjoyed this, I thought it was fun. Quite a quick read. It took me just a couple of days. Basically talks about a breakup, but from the perspective of a guy, which I don't think I've read very often. It was good. It was very funny. I did laugh quite a lot. thought I was very sweet at times, very satirical. It was good. It was good. I say good would be a good word for it. It's really called good material. It's good. I gave this three and a half stars. Also, is it true that Dolly Alderton used to fuck Boris Johnson? I need... An answer to this because she talks shit about Boris Johnson in the book. Maybe a way to kill the rumors. And then lastly, I finished this this morning. We've got Murakami, What I Talk About When I Talk About Running. Many of the reviews on Goodreads are saying that it was quite pointless. I don't think any work of nonfiction is pointless because it's the writer's perspective. Just let him do his thing. You know, if you don't like it, that's fine. I didn't think it was pointless. I thought it was very interesting. As someone who is absolutely not a runner and hates running, it literally made me want to put on my running shoes. Also, I love Murakami. I love Norwegian Wood and The Wind-Up Bird Chronicles. And it was really nice reading a book where it was him talking. Because the two books I've read of him are very whimsical and crazy and fictional. This is basically a memoir. And he talks about his life as a writer and as a runner. Have you ever read Murakami's Morning Routine as well? Let Let me get that up. When I'm in writing mode for a novel, I get up at 4 a.m. and work for 5 to 6 hours. In the afternoon, I run for 10 kilometers and swim for 1,500 meters, or do both. Then I read a bit and listen to some music. I go to bed at 9 p.m. I keep to this routine every day without variation. The repetition itself becomes the important thing. It's a form of mesmerism. I mesmerize myself to reach a deeper state of mind. He's a very fascinating man. And reading this, how meticulous he is with his training in terms of running and he does triathlons and marathons, et cetera. It was really interesting. And that is everything I read this year. I'm currently finishing Monkey Diaries by Jane Birkin, which I'm actually really enjoying. I, lo- I love a diary. I love an autobiography. Love a memoir. That just tickles my fucking muffin. damn, I've been talking for a while now. What have you read this year? Any books you think I should read? Any books you want me to do an episode on? Let me know. So this episode is titled After the Year of Magical Thinking by Joan Didion. As you can probably tell, I love this woman a lot. I think she's endlessly fascinating. And this book is the first one I read from Joan Didion. I read this a couple years ago and I remember seeing the title and thinking, oh, that's so uplifting. You know, the Year of Magical Thinking, this is gonna heal me. Turns out it's entirely a book about grieving and death and Joan Didion lost both her husband and her daughter at very short interval and quite tragic circumstances and her writing which used to be very journalistic and essays and explorations of her travels became mostly about grieving and you know I'm realizing this holiday season that grief is something that is absolutely not linear and something that stays with you forever. The most recent, very close family death I had was over 10 years ago. It was my grandfather, who was my best, best friend as a kid. And, you know, there are days where I think about it, there are days where I don't, there are weeks where I don't. And I was in Paris recently, and I was emptying out our storage unit, which contained basically all of my life up until I was 18. And I found this book that my grandfather had written about me from the ages, from the day I was born till I was five. He wrote an entry every time he saw me. And not saying that because I'm biased because it's my grandfather, but it's the most incredible piece of writing I've ever seen. And this is what's so frustrating because, you know, my grandfather was a plumber. I didn't know he was such an intelligent, eloquent man who could write this well. And when I'm asked, like, if I could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, I usually say my grandfather because I would love to know him at this age. It, it would be so interesting to have a conversation with him and hear his stories. And it was also fascinating because I, so I, I started reading the book he wrote on the Eurostar back and I was weeping uncontrollably sobbing, because it was also so weird hearing about yourself as a child. He was describing traits of my personality, things I would do, reactions I would have, and they were so similar to how I may react about something now, and it was so beautiful. It was so, so, so beautiful. I will cherish that book till the day I die, and I'm very lucky to have something like that, but grief is not linear, because it hit me like a truck when I saw that and there are days where it gets better and there are days where it's rough and I think the holiday season is definitely a very difficult time of year if you've lost someone close. My stepdad lost his father three days ago so the house has been quite heavy with grief. Christmas is also a horrible time of year for this to be happening. Not saying there's a good time but... And grief isn't about just losing a person either in the sense of them dying. Grief happens every day about the person you used to be or friendships or you don't have to have lost someone close to you to read the year of magical thinking or blue nights by joan de Dean, which is another great one also reading about you know such tragic events makes you so grateful for what you do have and yeah, I think I'm coming to a point in my life of just growing older in general and things have come to an end, friendships and lovers, situations. And yeah, it's weird. Is it, Growing up is really weird and fascinating, but any fucking way. <laughs> One of my goals for next year, I'm not going to do resolutions because I tend to not stick to them and then get really frustrated, but I really wanna rebuild some self-respect for myself. Not saying that I don't. Joan Didion wrote an excellent essay for Vogue in 1962 or 1972 titled On Self-Respect. It's available online if you just Google. It's a beautiful piece of writing. I wanna stand by what I believe and know my worth and that can be really difficult and it's, uh, it's not linear, just like grief. That's definitely one of my goals for this coming year. And I think I've implemented a lot of those things the last couple of months, but but there are days where I just neglect to think about that. You know, I'm just growing more and more frustrated of times where I feel down about myself because it is such a waste of time. Like, what's the point hating the body and the mind I'm stuck with for God knows how long? I think this is the main problem I have when I'm feeling really insecure or anxious about something. What's the point? What's the point? It's such a waste of energy. I could be doing so much more with all this time I'm spending just beating myself down and, like, talking to myself in such a poor way. And one thing I've been doing at the end of every month is in my journal is monthly reflections. So what I'll do is how I felt this month, what gave energy, what drained energy, to release to manifest and how I want to feel next month. I just really love seeing my evolution and my mindset about things and what seemed like such a big deal six months ago is nothing now. And if you are someone who journals quite frequently, I would definitely recommend doing these little monthly reflections. It takes five minutes. So for next year, practice self-respect, practice self-love. I'm going to drink less, attempt smoking less, <laughs> and just take care of myself, stop being so hard on myself, get my driver's license, check in next year to see if that happens. But, um, also, you know, I think this podcast has definitely mentally challenged me a lot more than I thought it would. I'm very proud of the teeny tiny little community I've built. And if you've listened all the way through to this point of the episode, I'm really grateful um, because I see the retention on Spotify. Half of you dip halfway through an episode. <laughs> hard and weird putting your thoughts out there and i forget that i put this on the internet sometimes and then someone will reference something i said in a podcast i'm like what y'all actually listen to what i gotta say this podcast has been has literally been kind of a lifeline for me this year and I'm incredibly grateful for anyone who's helped, supported, listened and shared and you know it's kind of hard to keep going sometimes when you feel like life's just throwing you a bunch of curveballs and testing you and I don't know I'm really grateful that I get to talk to myself and that some of you are listening and even if I just have one listener I'm a rich woman and that listener will most likely be me because No Man Land was my top podcast on Spotify Wrapped. (laughs) All right. I've been talking for over an hour now. Jesus. I had a lot to say. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. If this is your first time listening to me, if you've been an avid listener, I hope you're taking care of yourself this holiday season. And I hope that you're doing what you love and what makes you happy. Yeah, that's it, really. Happy holidays, everyone. Sending you lots of love. And I will see you in the next episode. Bye.